0: Father, I give you thanks for your word, how it provides for us light unto our path. It it sets us in a direction that leads right to your throne room. Father, I pray that we would be able to just humbly accept this word that is planted before us. I pray that we would not reject it. At times, Lord, it brings soothing to the soul. And other times it cuts like a knife. But, Lord, help us to be attentive to your word. Help us to make it our own. Help us to live by it. Keep the commands that are therein. And Father, we understand we can only do this by the power of your spirit. And so we pray for that enabling. Accomplish all this this morning, we ask, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. We just finished up the Beatitudes, but I'm going to start from verse 3 so that we can still get the feel for what's going on in context. So it's Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. They persecuted the prophets who were before you. So it says, rejoice and be glad when you're suffering pain. Now, if that isn't a seeming contradiction in the way that we're supposed to live, the world would say, you are absolutely crazy. You want me whenever I bust my leg and you want me to just rejoice. Praise the Lord, I broke my leg. Or praise the Lord, somebody broke my leg for me. Is, is that what we're supposed to? And be glad, I'm so happy. I'm so happy I took this path and that I'm suffering like this. But that's that's what he is saying. And and you look at this and you go, what do you mean by that? And I'm sure... When the disciples were there, and as he's giving this message, remember there's multitudes which are out there. And those multitudes are listening. Do you think any one of them, they're all sitting together probably, or they're standing, do you think any one of them when he said this, rejoice and be glad, they're going, what did he say? They turn to each other and they're trying to figure, what is he talking about? Rejoice and be glad because I suffer. Is that what he's saying? Well, he said it twice in there he didn't say it just once that last beatitude blessed are the persecuted and then he goes on to say rejoice and be glad and you should be happy when somebody insults you or persecutes you or falsely says all kinds of evil against they've been gossiping about me they've been murmuring against me I am so happy you see what he's saying here it's kind of like the paradoxical terms in there blessed are the poor in Luke six twenty, or blessed are the poor in spirit because that blessed remember I told you it has to do with a person who is wealthy that person is blessed that's what they thought of back then but Jesus would say blessed as in terms of the one who is wealthy are those who are poor and so they seem to be at opposite ends of the spectrum but this is a new wisdom which is coming about and the people really don't understand this and they're trying to grab hold of it Now, when a man, or excuse me, when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. That's in the book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship. And so when Jesus calls us to come to him, Romans 12, 1 says, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You know, this is the acceptable worship that we're supposed to be in. And there is only one way This may be endured, this pain and suffering and being happy and being glad about it. The only way that this can happen in our lives, there's two things I want you to keep in mind. One is you have to keep eternity in sight. You have to have the goal of your faith, the goal of your salvation. If you're not looking at that and you look inward and you start saying, woe is me, because I'm suffering. Now this is not the type of suffering that we bring upon ourselves. This is the type of suffering that comes externally from those in the world or Satan because we're living our lives as Christians. Some people get that a little bit confused. I was listening to Chuck Smith on this, a sermon he did probably 20 years ago, and he said that when he had first gotten to the area up there in orange county and he was working up in los angeles and he would take the street trolley that used to be up there of course this is a long time ago and he'd get on the street trolley and he knew somebody who would get on that street trolley who was also a fellow believer and she would get on the back of the trolley and pastor chuck would be at the front of the trolley and she would say pastor chuck Hallelujah! All the way through the trolley is what she would do. And Pastor Chuck, everybody would turn around towards Pastor Chuck. And then Pastor Chuck would turn around too. Like, who is she talking to? You know, who is this that's calling out Pastor Chuck? And he ended up going up to her and saying, and I'm going to try to say it the best way that he said it. He goes, you know, I really don't appreciate you calling me out like that on the trolley. I wish you wouldn't. And this woman turned to him and said, Oh, suffering the persecution for Christ. No, she's just being obnoxious. that That's the type of persecution you think you're under because you're following Christ. That's not it at all. Matter of fact, it, it can become uh, quite the offense to those who are unbelievers. I remember when I was uh, in college, I would go to the library down in chula vista and i would sit there for hours and i'd be going through books and i remember this one particular time and i'd become a christian at this point i was sitting at this table and this girl came in and she was dressed like she was part of the apostolic church they're brothers and sisters but they have the long sleeves and the high neck and you know everything is kind of tight you know with the hair and, and, and that's what she looked like and is. This is a sister, and she started every other phrase was praise the Lord or hallelujah, talking loud enough where half the library could hear her. And I, I'm thinking, this is not a good witness. Most of the people in the library may or may not be believers, but some people are going to be offended just by simply the fact you being so vocal in a library. People are trying to study, and it was completely distracting for me. I couldn't study at that point. And so people will put themselves in positions where they receive some blowback, where they receive some persecution, and it's only because we are acting stupidly. We are not acting in such a way to receive the persecution because we're being a witness for Christ. Uh, One time when I was in college as well, I went to this uh, one intramural day. Uh, College students, you know, they get a break every once in a while. We went up to UC Fullerton, or the Fullerton campus up there. And when we were on the Fullerton campus, Budweiser put this thing on, and I was a believer at the time, and they had inner tube water polo. And this was a co-ed athletic event. And then there was... uh, softball there was tug-of-war it was like this intramural day for just a bunch of college students and everybody took a bus up there and and students from all over the area came in and there was hundreds and hundreds of people that were there and during lunch they fed us lunch undercooked chicken i'm surprised we didn't get sick but we we all sat around and there was this woman that she came up close to me talking to a guy that was on the steps and uh, at this one hall that was right there and as she began to witness to him and there's hundreds of people in the quad in the area there she was going up and she was just trying to witness to him and this is right at the height of the Jesus people movement trying to give him the gospel let him know he needed to be saved from his sins and he stood up and yelled as loud as he could, I don't want your Jesus! And just the poor girl, I saw her just turn flush red. You know, I started praying for her. She was at that point being persecuted for Christ because she was trying to give the gospel. And I just really felt for her. But she was doing what she was called to do scripturally. So that's the difference between acting stupidly and acting for christ and becoming persecuted so the only way that we can endure something like this is if we have our reward in front of us and we're looking at it and go that's my goal kind of like the woman who is going through lamaze remember that she had to have a what was that thing called it was a focal point. She had to look at that, and he pant and who, who, he, he. And the husband, he's doing the effleurage and the tennis ball, and then she yells at him saying, don't touch me, you did this to me. And that's all the things that are going on at that point. But she keeps her focal point. She has to refocus what's going on. So when we are going through any type of tribulation, any type of persecution for the sake of Christ, You keep eternity in front of you. You make sure that you're focused on that. And if you can do that, it becomes tremendously easier to do that. Now, the avoidance of physical pain is a great motivator. And for us, anyone, who who wants to go through pain? Unless you're just sick. You, You don't want to go through pain. You want to avoid pain. You don't walk up to a stove and say, oh, look, it's hot. Let me put my hand on that. You, you don't do something like that because it hurts, right? I, I just saw a little news blip of a guy who deep fries chicken with his hands. Obviously, he has no feelings in his hands, but he's still acting stupidly because it's still going to blister, even though he doesn't have the feeling in his fingers. And so the avoidance of pain is a great motivator. And if we can get out of any type of suffering, let's get out of the suffering. Let's not be ignorant of God's ways. That if we have a way out, get the way out and take the way out. But if we find we can't get out of that suffering whatsoever, there's there's no way to get out. God says, be happy and rejoice for the fact that you are being a witness for me and people hate you because this is what they did to God's called ones, the ones who were the prophets of old and they even lost their lives. And when it comes to pain, and I'll probably expand a little bit more on this in a minute, you know, the tribulation's coming up, that's in the future, the Bible talks about that, and there are going to be those who do not receive the mark of the beast or follow the beast, and they're going to be beheaded, they're going to be killed, they're going to have their heads cut off. That's what Revelation chapter 20, verse 4 says. Now, if for some reason, The church gets raptured. Let's say we get raptured today, before the message is done. We're out of here, right? We take off. But there's going to be somebody probably left. And that person who is left, who believes that they're a Christian, and yet they haven't really been a Christian. They really didn't believe sincerely. They thought they did. And they didn't, and they're left behind, and they decide to become a believer. It says the Antichrist is going to be given power over them to kill them. If they repent and they become a Christian, they're not going to take the mark. And so they're going to lose their head. If that were me, if I was one that I really didn't believe and I was left behind and the rapture came and I knew they were coming for me and they were going to cut off my head because of my witness for Christ, I would go to the front of the line. How long is it going to last? Why watch the rest of the suffering? I would put myself before others. Maybe others would have a a chance. But we're not to fear that death. And that's what anybody who is not saved certainly fears. And those who are saved, sometimes we have a problem getting over that. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 says, Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death. That is the devil. And free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. See, we have no fear. And suffering we like to avoid. But if we can't avoid the suffering, we're simply supposed to endure it. And if it's for the sake of Christ, we know that we have great reward Waiting for us up ahead. That's why we keep the eternity in mind. So this avoidance of pain can motivate us to deny Christ, like Peter denied Christ three times. But how is it that these individuals can endure such pain? I think it was Polycarp. I haven't looked this up and I don't have this in my notes, but I remember reading, I think it was Polycarp, that they were going to kill him, burn him at the stake. And they were going to tie him to the stake. This is located in the Fox's Book of Martyrs, if you want to look it up. And I think it was him. But they put him on the stake, and they're going to bind him to the stake. And he says, you don't need to bind me. I'll stand here. And he did. And he was burned at the stake for his confession of Christ. He knew it would only be a momentary suffering, light momentary suffering. Once we're cross that threshold i mean how hard is it can you think of the time where you have been in the absolute worst pain of your life whatever it is maybe you were impaled by something maybe you impaled yourself accidentally by something maybe you smashed your thumb with a hammer i've done that 23 ounce hammer that little diamond plate just and is that my thumb it looks like hamburger meat it's not and you're just going you want to scream from the top of your lungs that type of thing maybe that's the type of pain, or childbirth i don't know i've never had to uh, one person said it's like taking your lower lip and pulling it over your eyebrows something like that i i don't know if that's what it's like but the pain that has to be endured it's in the it's all in the past we don't even remember it really the intensity of what it was and so God says, don't fear the pain that you may have to go through as a result of suffering for Christ. But make sure you keep eternity in mind. Now, there is one other thing that you need with this. How do you endure pain? For instance, when people go to the gym, are they in pain? Have you ever heard them yell out in the gym? I've heard that a lot. You go to the gym, they going. They're just forcing whatever their free weights or whatever they're doing or they're pushing on the, the leg machine and they're, and they're just grunting all they can to try to muster up some strength. And then they do a bunch of sets and a bunch of reps and they're just going, oh, it hurts so good. No pain, no gain. And they're just going on and on and on, right? My philosophy is no pain, no pain. But theirs is no pain, (laughs) No gain. And they, they keep on doing that. They endure this pain. Why? So their flesh looks good. At least for a few years. Because we know what happens eventually. It doesn't look so good. No matter what you do to it, it's not going to look good. You can like, let it, it's like a new car. You buff it, you polish it, it looks good, it gleams and all of that. And 15 years later, well, it's a little dull, you know, and it kind of deteriorates what well, we do too. But they go through pain for earthly success and it's only momentary if we go through pain and it's for eternity the pain is still momentary it goes away and they're willing to do that for something that doesn't last so we need to be willing to go through that pain how do you build up the endurance by practice you allow god to put you in a position where you have to endure not that you're going sign me up i want some suffering can you bring some today? You, you don't do that, but you're gonna put yourself just by serving Christ, you're gonna put yourself in a position to experience pain. Maybe physical, certainly emotional or psychological, if you get out there. And that pain, the more you experience it, it's like building a muscle. You go, Ah, this is nothing. I can handle this. I'll just keep on enduring it, you know, and and you get pretty good after the years go by and you just say yeah i've seen this before well how do you do that it's called self-discipline where do we get self-discipline from there's only one place we get it from the holy spirit you're right that is the fruit of the spirit so if you have eternity in mind looking to jesus christ our savior and you rely on the holy spirit you can endure the suffering which is out there and god says be happy and rejoice be glad because others have endured this too and you think to yourself even with that you mean because others went through it and they're happy i should go through it and be happy is that what you're telling me and he goes yes that's what it should be because they had eternity in mind and they relied on god and so we are blessed if we are persecuted for righteousness sake but we are not blessed if we get persecuted simply because we decide to act stupidly now, with this, the suffering and death, you know these two things that will come our way eventually, no matter who we are, we shouldn 't fear it but when you 've you know for me to say this in this position right here, what is it seventy two degrees and i 've had my coffee this morning i 'm going to end up having some lunch or some food and maybe some chocolate today because uh, I like chocolate and I may take a nap, and I'm going to be nice and comfortable. And what did I give a message on? Suffering and death. And I know that I'm going to go from this place, and I'm going to, I'm fine. Well, what about the people that aren't fine around the rest of the world? You know, there's genocide going on right now with the Christians throughout the world. If you've been to Cambodia, and several of you have, you go to Tulslang over there. Tulslang is where they tortured the Cambodian people. And it showed how they locked them up in chains on a tile floor, and they had a bucket for, well, you can imagine what the bucket was for, but they would stick them on metal racks, and they would electrocute them. They would put their heads in tubs of water and hold them underneath until they passed out. They were beaten so hard, they'd stretch them between poles. I mean, it was brutal, and they took pictures of each one of those people. That's the strange thing about it. You go there, this place that was a a torture realm, and they have the pictures of all the people, and they are on these uh, tall racks that are just going through the buildings, and you can see the faces of each one of these people who suffered. And they actually had some pictures of how they tortured them. Then you go to the killing fields, and I don't want to describe how they killed them, but it was absolutely brutal. The numbers of people that were killed, they estimate... Somewhere between 1.5 and 3 million people that were under Pol Pot in the 70s that he killed. And you think, well, that's a lot of people. Well, not so much because you have Joseph Stalin. He killed 20 to 25 million people. Adolf Hitler, they estimate but between everybody in Europe and the Jews through the wars, maybe 49 million people Mao Zedong. 45 million people, those numbers are incomprehensible. And how did they kill them? They would go in and kill entire families. Mussolini would do the same thing just kill entire families just to show how brutal they were. And this is not talking about the Roman times or Babylon or the Assyrians and how they'd put rings through the lips and they'd tie a rope to that. They'd be on a horse and you better keep up because that, that ring, if you didn't keep up, you know what's going to happen to that ring. It's going to pull right out and it's going to split your lip and there's going to be problems. I mean, the torture and the suffering that has gone throughout history is just beyond comprehension. And I'm going to make you a solemn promise. Somebody is going to come that's worse than all of these guys together. He is referred to, although he's not called this in scripture, he is referred to as the Antichrist by us. He is the beast. He's going to show up. And there are literally going to be billions of people who are going to die because of him. And so when... People are in the tribulation period and they get saved. And I'll cover all of this when we get to Matthew 24 and 25. But when they're there and they get saved, they're going to suffer and they're going to die. They're going to be tortured beyond belief. That's what's going to happen. Not only is Satan going to pour out his wrath, but Jesus Christ is going to pour out his wrath on a rebellious earth that will not repent of their sins. And so he's going to bring that. And that is yet in the future. Now, how far? In the future? We'll end up talking about that when we get to that particular chapter. So his numbers are going to be billions. It, it says that in Revelation 13 16, he also forced everyone, great and small, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. So he's going to institute that. Revelation 20 verse 4 says those who are beheaded were underneath the altar and they're going to be resurrected to rule and reign with Christ when he comes back. And, of course, what precedes that is the rapture. And we're looking forward to the rapture. But what will be the signs of the times when we can understand that it's close? Well, it's going to be like in the days, he tells us, the days of two people in scripture one is noah it's going to be like in the days of noah and noah you know everybody was just carrying on ranting and raving marrying giving in marriage they were just doing their thing and there's crazy noah he's building that boat out there and he says it's gonna rain and there hasn't been any rain What's rain? Rain is water falling from heaven, and I'm going to build a boat to survive. Yeah, right. It took him over 100 years to build that thing. He has really he has been working at this thing for 100 years. Where's the promise of the rain, huh? And then he got into the ark, and what did God say was the reason that he was going to do this? Well, we know that the world was corrupt, but we also know that the world was filled with violence is the world filled with violence today? (laughs) What country can you go to where there is not violence? Maybe Iceland, I think you could probably go to Iceland or, or one of the, uh, islands down there was well, sandwich islands maybe there's 60 people down there but there's probably going to be arguments and violence between them as well there's just violence everywhere and we see it even more now that we have the worldwide news which is out there and then he said it's also going to be like the days of lot now how did he describe the days of lot there was sexual immorality there were problems with the poor you know the the neglect of the poor was one of their main sins not only the homosexuality but it was the problems with the the people and how they lived their lives who were self-consumed they were brutal they were violent but they also did not think anything was going to happen one day they're fine they're carousing the next day fire and brimstone it's just done that's the way the rapture comes And that's the way God says it's going to be for us. We're going to work. We're listening to the radio. You are having our hot toddies, or maybe not a hot toddy, maybe a hot mocha or latte, something like that. And and you're just going along thinking everything's fine, and all of a sudden, you get the trumpet call of God, and you're up in the sky, and you go, what happened? Where are we? My body. Ah, I have hair now. And you're going to say all kinds of things. You're just going to be flabbergasted and jesus christ will be right there go okay let's go to heaven Married supper the lamb and we're off to heaven and then down here on earth it's seven years of tribulation that's what happens but the point is when does it happen it happens in when a moment you think not no he won't come tomorrow i have a daughter that's going to get married and we we were talking about this this morning we said the wedding has to happen first Right, it, that has to happen first. It used to be, I have to get married first before the rapture. I don't want to be a bachelor to the rapture. You know, you hold down the, you hold down the ring finger and you, you put it like that. That's what the guys used to do at the church that I went to. And, and so this, this is all coming. We want these things to be fulfilled before them, but God says it's going to happen at a moment you do not think so. You could be on the freeway just going, okay, I got to go to work, and da, 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 you're gone you're just out of here and i'm waiting for that day i'm expecting it it's called the doctrine of imminency but this idea of suffering the pain which is there the the people are going to die christ was our example of suffering in luke 24 46 he told them this is what is written the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations beginning in Jerusalem. So the Old Testament told us that he would arrive, that he is God in human form, and that he would suffer and die, go to heaven, and he would come back. Paul and the other apostles, they all suffered and died, except for John. He didn't die in the traditional way, at least that we know of. But God <laughs> let Paul know vicariously in Acts chapter 9, verse 16. This is what he says. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. If Jesus came up to any one of us and says, and he puts his hand on your shoulder, looks you right in the eye, smiles at you and says, I just want to let you know how much I'm going to have you suffer for me. just <laughs> go. All right. Is that what you Now what? You know, yeah. oh why do I why, why me, Lord, like Moses? Can't you send somebody else? No, but we are chosen. We are the ones and we're supposed to consider it a privilege and scripture actually says that philippians 1 for it has been granted to you like opening up a gift go for me yes it's for you it has been granted to you on behalf of christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for him congratulations oh thank you you think you're getting an award like an oscar or something like that and no you get to suffer and die that's remember the words of dietrich bonhoeffer when god calls a man he calls him to die and this is not popular Let's go out in the world and tell them, hey, you want to die? They're, they're going to think you're looney tunes. You're crazy. What are you talking about? You, you don't necessarily receive that unless you find out there's first a problem of sin, that sin that is on the inside. And suffering, remember, we're not to suffer because we are unwise. 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 15 through 17 <laughs> Peter wanted, God wanted to make this clear by writing through Peter. If you suffer, it should not be as a murderer or thief or any other kind of criminal or even as a meddler. So this is not an exclusive list. This is a list that could just go on and on. And all it needs as a heading is acting stupidly. Now, how many of us act stupidly? I I know, I do. And those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're acting stupidly. We all act stupidly. We all do things that are just, I mean, unwise. That's just who we are. It's because we are a broken set of people that God has put here on the earth. And he goes, don't worry, I still love you. Even though you're a blow it, I still love you and I still died for you. See, that's, That's the good sign. Now, going on in verse 13, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. So salt, back in the day, was used primarily as a preservative. If you killed an animal, what you did, you didn't run to the refrigerator or the deep freezer and throw it in there. You couldn't do that because they didn't have electricity. There is some speculation, well, there were batteries back then. They had these ancient batteries. Yeah, just get rid of that. It's this idea that people killed something, and they had to eat it that day within a few hours, or they had to cover it with salt, and they would literally cover it with salt. They would pour the salt on there to preserve it. And if they did that, there was no decay that would take place. That's what they used the salt for. And the salt was very valuable. It was something that you could sell it in the marketplace. You could make money off of it if you had a salt mine or if you took it out of the seawater. You know, it's all around us. Our bodies have salt in them. It is a, a abundant element on the earth, but sometimes it's difficult to retrieve. But this idea is we are the salt. Okay, so we are to primarily preserve. Preserve what? Preserve what God has instituted. In other words, we're to be this witness. A witness again. And if we are going out there being salt, we are going to be persecuted as we just read previously. This is the next thing in the line. You are to be the salt. Now sometimes as salt... What would happen if you threw salt in somebody's eye? They'd probably punch you. You know, they would, they would, oh, just stinging. There's this stuff. I was in gymnastics in college. And there's this stuff called uh, tincture benzoin. Tincture benzoin. And it's like a salt. And it comes in a little bottle. And this little bottle, you would take the cap off the bottle... And when you would be on the high bar and you'd swing around that high bar, you would get what's known as a rip on your hand. And it would take something that looked like a callus and just rip it off your hand. And you would have this, huh? muscle. You could see the muscle down in there. So it's not like a blister. This is like the whole skin piece just comes right off. And so you take this tincture benzoin, You'd open up the bottle because you had to get back up in the bar. And you'd put the bottle on there and you'd go, "Mm," like that. And, oh, sting, pain, suffering down on your knees going, oh, it hurts. It would just kill. But it was like a salt that would be put on there. So you could put on your little grips again and get back up there. I'm fine. I'm good. You know, and you're doing your thing after that. So the salt can cause pain. It is actually thought that if you drop the bottle of salt, that was not good. Do you know what you're supposed to do if you drop a bottle of salt by superstition? You guys remember? That's right. You pick some up and you throw it. You throw it over your left shoulder. Do you know why you throw it over your left shoulder? You have no idea. It's because Satan's right back there and you throw it in his eye. That's the point of the superstition. And if you ever spill salt, that is a bad, bad omen. Don't ever spill salt. This has been believed for centuries. Now, Daryl, you have the first picture? I'm going to show you something. You know that uh, Leonardo, not DiCaprio. Okay, you see this picture. You know what this is? This is the Last Supper, right? Now, who was the bad guy? Judas Iscariot. He had some bum luck, didn't he? Huh? Could you give me the next picture? Now, I'm going to tell you who's who here. Of course, you know who Jesus is. If you've read uh, some of Dan Brown's novels, that's actually Mary Magdalene. Magdalene instead of being John uh, the disciple, the one to the left is John the disciple, whom Jesus loved. The next one with the gray hair balding, that's Peter. The one in front of him is Judas Iscariot. Now, what do you see in his right hand? He has the bag of money. What do you see by his right cuff? It's a little salt shaker that has been pushed over. Bad luck for him. You didn't know that, huh? It's in the last supper. I don't know if you can quite make it out there, but there's a salt shaker. If you go home and look on Google you can see that salt shaker that has been pushed over. So it's really bad to push over salt. That could happen to you unless you pick some up and throw it in Satan's eye so he won't tempt you anymore. See, that? that's the whole idea that used to be back around that time, and it's still today. You guys still know it. It's one of these old wives' tales. And, you know, with salt, well, let let me go off in this direction first. We are to be the preservative in the world. We are to make sure that we are standing up for Christ. And when we do so, and we try to preserve things like that which is moral, that which is ethical, that which is right. We're supposed to stand up and say, this is wrong and this is right. And the world says, you are wrong and you are intolerant. And when they say that of somebody who's a believer they are actually demonstrating that they are the most intolerant who are out there. They don't want anything to do with Christians. As a matter of fact, it would be like this. Imagine a judge who stood about seven feet tall and on where his head would be would be a globe. And then in front of them, and I've actually seen this picture in front of them, in front of him are three people. The first person has a star of david where the head is the second person has a cross where the head is the third person has a crescent moon and star and the judge is saying why is it whenever there's a problem it's always you three that's what the world perceives as far as i understand except for the jews going into the land of canaan and god carrying out his judgment The Jews have been a persecuted people. They are the ones that are the brunt of the persecution. Christians the same way. And somebody might object and say, no, 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 the Crusades. Well, the Crusades have been going on, what, for 1,400 or 1,700 years, something like that. And it was after several hundred years of complaining, the Christians saying, will you please come and help us, that the church finally decided to send some people, and it was called the Crusades. And it lasted two or three hundred years out of the fourteen to, I forget how many years, fourteen to seventeen hundred years. And they only did it as a response. And it's, the Christians are looked at as, yo, you mean people in the Crusades when the Moors and the, all the Arab and the Muslims, they were just going after everybody and slaughtering them. And it, it's not the Jews. It's not the Christians. It has been the Muslims specifically that want to kill both. And so when the problems rise around the world, it's because of that conflict that takes place. And, of course, that's we know that from Scripture. It's been taking place for really all of history. And so this idea that the Christian who is the salt, who is going out there and trying to preserve, is perceived as the one who is being bad, who is throwing salt in people's eyes, not letting them want to do what they want to do. And we stand up and we go out and thing, do things like we vote, right? Hopefully, we vote. Now, I haven't even looked at the ballot yet, and I know I need to do that, and I'm going to go vote. I'm going to fill that thing out because I want to be the salt. That's what Christ calls us to be. He calls us to be the salt. He calls us to be a good citizen. He calls us to stand up for what's right. And there are lots of political parties out there, and there is only one that is closest to us. Now, I'm not going to tell you what that one is, but I'll let you guess which one it might be. The one that is pro-life. The one who stands for... Less government, because the more government you have, the more control, the less freedom you have, the more government, the more taxes, the less freedom, the more you are enslaved, that type of thing. And so when it comes to socialism, socialism never stops at socialism. It goes to communism. And from there it goes to persecution. There it goes to death. There's a, there it goes to Hitler and Mussolini and Mao Zedong and all of those guys. That's what happens. And so we're to be the salt of the earth. Now when it comes to being the salt, Salt can lose its usefulness. And if it loses its usefulness, what do they use it for? Roads, streets, pathways. Why? Well, in winter, it keeps the ice from freezing. It also kills everything on the path. And people walk on it. That's when a believer has lost his usefulness. You're no better than to be thrown out on the path And just be trampled underfoot. And you're not fulfilling what Christ had in store. And so God wants us to maintain our lives in such a way where we can still be that salt. And it also can be a synonym for grace in Leviticus chapter 2 verse 13. It reads there, season all your grain offerings with salt. Do not leave the salt of the covenant of your God out of your grain offering. Add salt to all of your offerings. And it repeats a little bit of this in Numbers chapter 18, verse 19, when it comes to the Levites. The offering is like a covenant of salt, and the salt is to be like a preservative. But it's also representative, I believe, of God's grace. God's grace is like salt. When you put salt on meat, it just covers it completely when they used to do it. That's God's grace to us. It just covers us completely. You can see no sin. You can see no decay that is on there. That's why when we receive communion, I always like the wafers to have some salt on there. It's God's grace. You're reminded of that when you receive that. Now with salt as well, there's some interesting things about this salt. For instance, do you guys know what dihydrogen monoxide is it's it, it the dihydrogen monoxide is h2o it's water that's what it is but those two elements by themselves you think they're dangerous can you say the hindenburg you know what happened to that one was hydrogen that was filled with hydrogen that stuff is Flammable. Unbelievably flammable. What about oxygen? Is oxygen flammable? Can you say Apollo 11? They died because of the oxygen. You know, if you get too much oxygen, you can die by having too much oxygen. Our atmosphere has 21% nitrogen. I know this because I scuba dive, and if you do nitrox, right, Buzz, you have to have 21%. You have to put that in your computer. If you get too much, you can die. And so you don't want to get too much oxygen. So those things by themselves are extremely volatile. But when you put them together, what happens? Life. You get water. You get something that is good. You look at that like, this is good. Salt. What is salt? Chemical (laughs) equation. Sodium chloride, right? Sodium. My chemistry teacher, Dr. Love, that was in high school, he wanted to demonstrate the effects of sodium in water. And so he went to the chemistry little uh, door there. He pulled out this jar. It was about this big around, and inside was sodium. It's about the consistency of lead. And he took his pocket knife. It was all in oil. He took his pocket knife out, and he cut a sliver of the sodium off of there. And then he placed a container of water on the slate table that was over off to the side where we do our labs. And he goes, now, I want you to watch this. And I see him start to step back like this. And he takes the sodium, the piece of sodium, maybe about a half an inch long or so. And he throws it in the water. Explodes. It just, the room is filled with smoke and everything is just flying everywhere. And some of the kids are going, oh, mommy. You know, it it was just this huge explosion that took place. If you take sodium and you throw it in water, it is going to explode. If you were a murderer and you wanted to kill somebody, make them eat some sodium. You put it down in there, it's going to explode when it hits the stomach and it hits the water. It's going to explode. That's what it's going to do. What's the other thing? Chlorine. You want to go get some chlorine and drink it? I don't think so. You put that in a pool sometimes. How does it smell? Those two deadly elements are put together and what do you have? Life. You have salt, just like the dihydrogen monoxide, water. Now look at us. We were supposed to be the salt of the earth. What do we have? We have sin and we have a curse. And God takes those things, combines them in one, covers it with the salt, and what are we? We are life. That's what God wants us to be. And God does not want us to miss this stuff. He wants us to understand that we were utterly harmful, not only to ourselves, but to everyone else around us. And he doesn't want us to be harmful anymore. That's why he offers us the gift of salvation. Speaking of which, I'm going to end that right here. and We're going to go into we are the light of the world later. But I just want to explain a little bit about communion. Communion deals with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it says, Now, brothers, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as a first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, that He was buried and that He raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then He appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. And he goes on to say that if there is no resurrection, we are to be pitied among all people because we hold on to something that just isn't true. But on the night Jesus was betrayed, he instituted a practice. And this practice, it is known as an ordinance an ordinance is just something that you practice in remembrance or as a, a, um, a thing that you do, a religious ceremony. Another one for us would be considered baptism. Some people consider these things sacraments. Sacraments, it is believed by some to be necessary for salvation. Baptism is not necessary for salvation. Neither is communion necessary for salvation. But on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the cup, he gave it to his disciples, and he said, this is my blood in the covenant. First, before that, he, he had the bread. And he said, this is my body, which is given for you. And he dispersed it evenly. And he wanted us to remember the fact that Jesus, in 1 Corinthians 15, went to the cross, he died, he rose again from the dead, and he ascended to the Father. That's what we're supposed to understand. That's what we recognize in taking, receiving communion. But to do that, it is useless if you do not know Christ. And we want to make sure we know Christ. And I, I say this probably not often enough, but Romans 10, 9 and 10. I think you're familiar with it. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. You shall go from underneath the curse and the sin and rise to life. And Jesus promises to give us a new body, but that doesn't happen if we don't have him as Lord and Savior. So what we're going to do is I'm going to go over and I'm going to sing a song and the worship team is going to come up right now and we're going to do that. And as we're singing the song, if you're not sure if you have asked Jesus to really save you, I would say during the song, ask him you go to his altar and it, it's, metaphorically speaking, you look up to him and you say, save me. Or you hang your head and say, I'm unworthy to look at you. And will you just please save me from my sins? And a broken and contrite heart he will not despise. He promises to save us. And that's all that's required. We don't have to do anything else. He does all the rest of the work within us. And so as the song is being sung, I want you to reflect on that. If there's a sin, you need to say, Lord, forgive me for this. This is the time to do it. This is the time to go to the altar and say, you know, Lord, I I have sinned against you and only you. When we do that, we recognize that he was the ultimate sacrifice. He gave his body and his blood. And that's why we receive the communion with the cup and the bread. Father, again, we thank you for your word and what it means to us to have your insights. The things that you left for us here on earth are just full of wisdom. Help us to be that salt and that light, as we will see next week. Help us to endure persecution when we carry out our witness for you to the world. Help us not to act stupidly. But, Father, we understand your grace as well, that you bless us in spite of who we are. And so, Lord, we will call you holy. We will call you good. We will call you the Almighty, the one who is able to save us. And we thank you for our salvation. In Jesus' name, amen.